Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind Podcast. This is episode 23. One thing I want to say is that I'm struggling with a cold. You can probably hear it in my voice. Kind of bear with me as I go through it, and I really hope you enjoy it. Today, our guest is Pete Finger, and he is going to talk about his own recovery journey and how the support group Smart Recovery helped him overcome his addiction and begin to create a life that he really enjoys and really loves. I really like this episode and interviewing Pete was a great experience and he was just so open about his story and and sharing what worked for him and what didn't work. And I think it's a real wealth of, of really good, helpful information. Once again, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. It really does help and I really appreciate it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 23 of the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Pete Finger, and he is going to share a little bit of his own recovery story. And he's also going to talk about something that's been very helpful for him, the support group Smart Recovery. Pete, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Pete Finger, and I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I am just ready to graduate from the Unity Church Seminary, and I had some pretty rough times a few years ago with my addiction, and I've been kind of struggling with this probably for about 20 or 30 years, and I finally found something that worked for me, which is smart recovery. So that's the gist of my story there. So Okay, can you share a little bit about how your addiction kind of manifested itself and how it kind of operated in your life and what you were struggling with? Sure. I was brought up in what I would call an addicted family, which is, you know, parents that always had cocktail parties and cigarettes and the kind of Frank Sinatra kind of that kind of crowd. And so from a very small age, alcohol was always a big part of our family. And I never thought twice about that. It was always a big part of my life, too. And I abused alcohol from the first time I used it. I realized years and years later that the alcohol, for me, the alcohol abuse covered up some uh, being molested by a teacher when I was small and not being able to deal with that. And so that I found that was the reason for my uh, drinking and also uh, caused a tremendous amount of anxiety in my life. And so my drinking escalated year by year. In college, I drank a lot, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And it, I, I was kind of a functioning alcoholic in that I could hold down a job, and I was actually very successful. But I was in sales where everyone drank. But then I started getting DUIs, and I ended up with four DUIs, and thank God I'm not in a penitentiary right now. And I still didn't really see that it was a big problem until um, at work they had an intervention on me. And um, it took, because my mind, what I call it, my mind was pickled, I wasn't thinking straight. It took me probably six months before I realized how big uh, of a toll alcohol had taken on my life. And so, and I did not like um, AA. And so I looked for some other treatment facilities and I went to one in San Diego called Practical Recovery, which is based on smart recovery. And that worked really well for me. And uh, so I came back and... Uh, to Sioux Falls. I went to the smart recovery meeting and and I took the training to become a facilitator. And that was about three years ago. And 
Uh, my life has just changed tremendously since then because I find the alcohol was masking a lot of problems and, uh, and it was masking good things and bad things. And my life is just so much better right now. Wow. That, that's, I just want to say, I mean, that's great to hear. And I think your story is not uncommon for a lot of people who struggle in addiction. You know, they have trauma in their history. They find a substance or a behavior that helps them feel better because they don't know how to deal with it. And slowly that becomes unmanageable. It becomes the, it catches up to you, I guess. And, but you know, no other way. Exactly. Well, and my, my whole philosophy is that we don't feel good about ourselves. So we try to find anything we can, workaholism, alcoholism, anything we can, so we don't have to face the fact that we feel like we're damaged. And one of the big parts of smart recovery is affirmation and not beating ourselves up. And I think that's the main thing of the stop beating ourselves up and being cruel to ourselves. And we've found just with that one thing, it's changed people's lives tremendously because they don't realize how much they've been beating themselves up for decades. Right, right. That's so true, that, that self-worth. And, and you feel awful about yourself. You, you don't want to be with yourself. You don't like your life. And yeah, you got to find a way to get out of it. And if a drug works or sex works or working or whatever, you, you use it as a way to, to, to just escape that. So it sounds like you had tried before to get sober and then finally, you found practical recovery, which is based on the smart recovery. Right. What was different about that for you that really started to say, hey, this, this is helpful? Well, there's some pretty big differences. They, in smart recovery, they have a motto. It says, discover the power of choice. And we kind of say that's kind of our motto versus where in AA, I think a big part of their model is realize that you are powerless and that only a higher power can kind of heal you. And so to, to us, now I'm not saying AA is bad, because some people it works great for them, but for a lot of us it didn't work. And a, a lot of us it didn't work because we have to kind of say like that whole thing that I can't do this, I'm powerless. We're giving our power away to some other, some, some other entity rather than saying, I do have the power to make this change in my life. And so, that, so that's a big change. Um, we, we don't have we don't call each other um, addicts and things like that. We don't have to say hi. I'm Ethan. I'm an alcoholic. We don't have to use those are negative affirmations, and so we don't use those in in our meetings. We also we don't shame people. So we try to have a really positive atmosphere to build on the positive of what their what their life can be, rather than here's the fear of how terrible your life can be if you don't abide by this program. Right, right. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. For people who don't know, what is smart recovery? And kind of, do you know where, how did it start? I don't even know that. Uh, Tom Horvath, he's the, I think he's the founder of Smart Recovery, and he's also uh, runs the, the rehab out in San Diego. And I think he's, I think, he developed it through evidence-based practices. So he looked at rather than kind of like what works here and there, but it, they looked at the research of how the mind works, how uh, what is really the most successful. And they based, so he came out with four different tenets of smart recovery. And the first one is building and maintaining motivation. So that's, so we want to get better. Uh, coping with urges, 
managing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and living a balanced life. And those all those four things sound very easy, but <laughs> as a lot of us in recovery know that each of those it's a, a big choice to, to do any of those. Okay. And so for you, that that kind of fit your personality. It fit your way of thinking and it fit how you kind of felt about your recovery. And it sounds like that's really where it started to work for you. Right. I've been involved in the unit. I don't know if anyone knows the Unity Church, but it's based a lot on um, affirmations through self-healing through, we call they call it the school of um, positive Christianity or practical Christianity. And so we don't go around and calling each other sinners and shameful and things like that. And so since I've been in this kind of a, my kind of like the motto or the mission of my life, is it's kind of like about possibility and about positive thinking. It didn't work for me to go to a place where I say, hi, I'm Peter and I'm an alcoholic. That's an affirmation to the negative. And so that's why SMART works so much better for me because I could leave that behind. And I didn't know there was anything called SMART Recovery. So I was kind of hopeless for a number of years. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, like you said, for a long time, this was kind of controlling your life and was kind of taking over until you found this. And this is what really worked for you. Right. Yeah, I got sober for the first time in, I think, 1999. But that was, it was right after my dad died. And then a whole bunch of repressed memories came up from some pretty horrific things that happened in our family. And probably not, not that much different horrific from other families. You know, it was just when you're a little tiny kid and you get some of these terrible experiences hardwired into you. But I had a lot of these regressions. And so I started having really bad panic attacks for no reason. I would start crying and things like that. So I went to recovery then and I stopped drinking. But they didn't consider me an alcoholic at that time. The main thing that they were working with me on was PTSD. And so I stayed sober there for about three years. But then I moved, my big mistake was moving back to Chicago. And Chicago is a real big drinking town. And all my friends were drinkers. So I was kind of all by myself. And I really had a heck of a time. And so I, I fell back. And that was in 2005. And so I was drinking from 2005 until for another 10 years. And that's when the drinking really got out of control. Okay. Okay. And then after that, that's when you found the treatment center in San Diego. And uh, yeah, that's I, where it started. Yeah. I went to, I don't know if people know about this website, but there's, if you're looking for a recovery or rehab, there's a, a website called The Fix. And I went on there and looked at all these different recovery uh, rehabs and all over the world. And uh, you could sort them by all different kinds of things. And I was looking for a, a positive place and one that had a lot of individual attention. And, and so this one fit really well for me. And it, I'm just so glad that I found it. And um, I mean, I just kind of, it's one of those things where after you're sober, you kind of thank your lucky star. If you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad I found this. I don't know where I would be if I didn't. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. You found the place that fit for you and that, and that worked for you. I hear that a lot, you know, if people in recovery, they could try several different rehabs and then they find the one that works for them. And it really does. It, it speaks to them on the right, in the right way, on the right level. And that's where they make that change and they, and they feel really good about it. And I hear that story a lot. And so I'm so happy for you that you found that place for you that worked. I mean, that's great. Yeah, thank you. So tell me a little bit about 
now that you're trained in SMART to become a facilitator. So tell me a little bit how a SMART meeting works and, and what happens. Uh, generally, it's, it's so different than an AA meeting, although the kind of content's very similar. But we, we all get together and we have an introduction talking about what SMART recovery is, what it, SMART recovery isn't. It's kind of like the preamble they do in AA. And then what we do is we go around and we do what we call check-ins. And actually, check-ins usually take almost 100% of the time of the meeting. And so, and, and we run our meeting a little bit different than maybe National runs theirs. Normally, for National, they, after they do the preamble, they would ask if anyone needs extra time. Maybe someone's struggling with something. And so then we would set some time aside. But what we normally do is we're a very tight group. And so we know that if someone needs something, they'll speak up. But anyway, we go around and people talk about what they're struggling with, how their week's been, how their relationships are usually a big part of it. And then also all the baggage that comes when you stop the alcohol and then you're left with all these raw emotions and how people are working with that. And so and what we do, we actually encourage crosstalk. We encourage people to kind of share their experiences and how, how it relates to whoever's speaking. And we don't allow people to criticize each other. We don't allow people to shame each other. And we try to support and encourage each other. And kind of, and we like maybe suggest uh, books, or we might suggest a therapist, or we might suggest an outpatient program that maybe worked really well for us. And so that's and so as soon as that's done, then we might talk about a person might need some extra time. And then the other part we do, we might have an educational component where we might talk about one of the tools. Of smart, smart has about ten different tools, and we might talk about those, and maybe have somebody will come up and kind of show how that worked in their life. Right, right, okay. Yeah, and then we just kind of we pass the hat, and we suggest people uh, donate as much as the drink costs, and that's it. And uh, we don't really have any kind of formal closing with holding hands and things like that. And that's kind of it. We do have call lists. For our group, we have call lists, uh, and, and on our call list, we also have a lot of the different agencies in town and the different recovery centers, and so that information is available to everyone. Okay, great. Tell me a little, can you speak a little bit to these 10 tools and, and what those look like? Sure. One is called the, now all this information is available in our kind of what we call our Bible, is the Smart Handbook. It's $10, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it and smartrecovery.org and every single one of these tools is available in the handbook and it's also available for free online at smartrecovery.org but the first one i would say that we use the most is what we call it's the cost benefit analysis or cba and so we would look at both the long and the short-term consequences of different behaviors so you might say somebody might be new there and and we might ask them do you, so you do you want to stop drinking and they say i do but i don't and, I, and then we would, might say, well, let's look at the benefits, the costs and the benefits. What are the good things and what are the bad things, both long-term and short-term, about drinking? And so we never go in and say, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop this behavior. But we, but we find that if that person decides it for themselves, it's much more powerful. And so if we use an educational tool like that, and they might say, oh, my God, I never saw that before. And then that kind of moves them along the continuum a little bit. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Right. So second tool, I would say, um, we call it the ABCs. And it's actually A, B, C, D, E or something like that. But we just use the ABCs. 
But for any, like if we get upset, say that we're driving down the road and somebody pulls in front of us and we get really upset and we stay upset for the rest of the day. And we, so A is the activating event. That's someone pulling in front of us when we're driving in traffic. B is the belief about the event. So we call that our irrational belief, that that person was nasty, they did it on purpose, whatever. And then C is the consequences. And the consequence is that I'm miserable now because someone pulled in front of me. And so that person, and so what we do is we go back and we look at that irrational belief because what we find in our meetings is that most of the beliefs that we held when we were drinking were irrational. We had all, like alcohol is going to be our best friend and all these different things. And so what we do is we go back and say, okay, why am I so upset? And it's like, well, she did that on purpose. And I was like, and so we go back and we say, really, did she really do that on purpose? Or maybe she didn't even see me. Maybe she walked by me because she didn't see me. Maybe that person didn't see me. And that's why they pulled in front of us. And so what we say, is it really worth us staying upset all day because someone pulled in front of us in traffic? And we're like, of course it isn't. And so that's when we try to decouple some of those uh, kind of reptilian brain, the fight or flight things that kind of pop up. Right. right and yeah. uh, kind of start working with like some of those PTSD things of like, I don't really need to be upset. I'm not in any danger here. So anyway, that's the ABC. Yeah. I mean, that sounds just, it helps you just slow down and change your thinking a little bit and kind of see the alternatives that are out there. Exactly. Exactly. So the third one is called the crave, the urge and craving log. And that's when, so like, and there's some kind of a, a documentary that's been out and it says cravings normally last about a minute and a half, but if you feed them, they last longer. And so what we do is we document our, it's like, okay, we document when we really had an urge to drink or use or whatever it might be. And then what we do is after we fill up the page, like say with 10 or 15 different items, we say, like, oh, my God, every single time I had an urge to drink, it was right after my husband left or it was right when my son got home from school or it was whatever it was. And then you start seeing you might see a bigger pattern. And then so or it might be like every time I go over to a holiday event with my family, I feel like I want to drink. And so what you do then is that when you go over to that holiday event, you prepare yourself. And you say, okay, this might be really difficult, but I have my phone numbers in hand. I can leave if I want to or whatever, because we want to put the recovery first and not make other people more important than our sobriety. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And like you can really get to see your patterns. And once you see them, you have the ability to change them. Exactly. So then we have what we call a hierarchy of values. And that's when we say, like, what is most important to you? Is it my wife? It's my family. It's whatever. And if someone's still drinking, we say, well, where does alcohol fit into that? And of course, alcohol will always go to the top and everything goes down. And it says, and what happened? And then we ask, what happens to these other things when you put alcohol at the top? And usually it's the, your family, your job, your whatever it might be, it monopolizes all that. And that's one thing um, that a lot of people don't realize is how high they put alcohol on the priority list. But when you do the hierarchy of values and you really look at it, it's really an eye-opening experience. Yes, yes. Okay, then we have the life pie. Everyone's done these life pies where you look at the spiritual part of your life, the friendship part of your life, the professional part of your life. And you just look at where you are in each one of those. 
and see where you need some balancing out because we all need a life that has a lot of different elements to it. We need to do everything in moderation. And for anyone who has struggled with an addiction, moderation is not an easy thing. And so it kind of takes constant vigilance to look at that. Yes, I would imagine. Okay. So last one, then the last one is a recovery plan. And that's just, that's like when you leave rehab and they give you a plan. But it, for somebody who's really struggling, we, we help each other with our recovery plans of what you, they might need one just to get through the next week or next month or whatever. And then, you know, some of us who have been out for longer, we might have for the next two, five or 10 years of uh, starting to put some major goals of our life and into play and also to protect our recovery so that we don't just overdo it in work or whatever it might be and then before we know it we're in trouble again so so that's the recovery plan and the, there's one other one that i kind of put in here it's not in our book or anything but that we have found in our group that it's very very helpful and that's meditation when you talk about you talked about kind of like slowing down and all that kind of stuff a lot of us are, and especially in our country, we're human doings. We're just moving, moving, moving. And one of my friends in uh, recovery uh, a couple weeks ago said this thing that really struck me. He said, now that I'm kind of in recovery, I watch, it's like I'm standing by the freeway and watching these cars go by like 90 miles an hour. And it's kind of like, you can go 90 miles an hour if you want to. But I choose not to do it. It's kind of like stepping off the crazy train. That's what I call it. And meditation really helps us just to reconnect with ourselves and stop continually responding and reacting to these outer stimuli. All the commercials on TV, all the workaholism of society, and all the, the nasty things that people say to each other on oh, the housewives of Orange County or whatever. And we say, that's not the kind of life that I want to live. And so meditation really helps us to connect with our own truth of what we want our life to be and to slow down that whole process of that we are okay right now. We are safe right now. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's kind of, we talk, we talk quite a bit about meditation and different apps that we've used. And everyone in our group seems to like a different form of it. Some like guided meditations and some like silent meditation and walking meditation or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I, I'm a big proponent of mindfulness and, and meditation. I mean, it's a, it's had a big impact on my life personally, just being able to slow down and kind of be able to decide my choice instead of just reacting. And, and so I totally appreciate meditation. I think that's a, mindfulness is really helpful for anybody who's struggling with addiction. And then I also just, as you were talking about all these different steps, I would imagine that, that all of that work generates so much conversation and so much that you could talk about in your groups and to help people through. Yeah, it's just so rich. It's so, I mean, we, our meetings are an hour and a half and we barely, we hardly ever finish without having to rush because people have, they tell you all the things that they've been working on. One person was reading the book. He got the book for the first time. He's been really caught in his addiction for decades. And he said when he read the book, he cried because he said, I finally found something that works. He said, I finally saw things that I wasn't getting anywhere else. And so, yeah, you can imagine how rich that conversation is. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say also, um, I didn't think about this till now, is that one difference in smart recovery and AA also 
is that we don't tell people that they need to come to meetings for the rest of their lives. We, there's, a, there's a circle in the Smart Recovery book, and I think it starts out with pre-contemplation and then contemplation, and then you, you go into the active part of your recovery, and then you go into maintenance. And then so when you feel like I'm strong enough and I don't need to come back anymore, you're fine. You don't come back. And if you need to come back every three months or every whatever, that's fine too. But we don't kind of say like, well, if you don't come to meetings, you're going to relapse. We give the person enough credit that they can figure out for them what's going to work rather than I have a friend that she was coming to Smart Recovery and then now she's going back into, she's in a 12-step recovery program. And the people in her program, when they when she stopped going to their program, I mean, they just gave her the worst time, like told her that she's going to be out in the street in no time and things like that. And I just feel like that's really inappropriate and it's cruel. And so we just don't tolerate any of that kind of talk in our meetings. And so it, it leaves for a very, very positive, uplifting. And normally people are very, I don't know if you want to say they're touched, but when people leave the meeting, they have a lot to think about. It sounds like it with all, all of that information and how it's, uh, it sounds very supportive. And, and especially with all the crosstalk, it allows people to really process what they're going through, which I think is extremely helpful for anybody who's struggling with addiction. Right. Peter, I want to thank you so much. I mean, you've given so much information and uh, shared so much of your story and just been so open about it. I, I really appreciate it. I just want to... Thank you for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast and and sharing uh, your knowledge and your wisdom. You're welcome. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And what I'm also going to do is I'm going to put everything in the show notes on the website. So that's going to be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 23. And so I'll have all the links that you mentioned. And if you have anything else that you want to put in there, you can. And people can access that information to get more information about Smart Recovery. Once again, thanks for coming on, Pete. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Once again, the show notes will be in the addictedmind.com forward slash 23. Get all the links there and all the information about smart recovery will be there as well. Also, I would love your feedback. You can go to the website, theaddictedmind.com, and right on the side is a link for you to leave me a voice message. Please give me any feedback about the website. Thank you so much to the people that have already done that. I really appreciate it. It really helps me make theaddictedmind.com better and makes the podcast better. So any feedback you can give me, I really appreciate it. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions for topics on theaddictedmind.com, please let me know. Leave me a message and I'll try and find somebody who can answer your question and give you the information that you're looking for. So just go to theaddictedmind.com. Right on the side is a tab and you can leave me a voice message there. I'd really appreciate it. Would really love to hear from you guys. So until next week, take care. I know. I know we've been taught that motherhood requires alcohol. I know we've been taught not to question our relationship with alcohol until we've lost everything. And I know we've been taught that if we do dare to examine our relationship with alcohol, 
we need to head straight to AA and declare ourselves an alcoholic who is powerless to alcohol forever. But what if all that isn't true? That's definitely not my story. I'm Suzanne, the host of the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm an influencer who stopped drinking in January 2020, and since then, I've been telling the truth about motherhood, influencing, alcohol, and sobriety. If you suspect deep down that glass or three of wine at night might just be making motherhood harder, well, you're right. Come and join me as I chat with other sober and sober curious moms. Let's laugh, cry, and normalize sobriety together, all while we reheat our coffee for the fourth time today.